Well, we live in a, a world, don't we, that is prone to exaggeration. It's not just teenagers, uh, but you will often hear people say that that was the worst thing ever, perhaps to refer to, to something really quite, quite trivial. Uh, a website listing the top ten so-called worst things which strangely goes on to list over 40 of them, so they, they can't count, uh, includes bullying, poverty, racism, and global warming. Now, I admit that uh, none of those things are good, um, but are they really the worst things that can happen? Open up a newspaper and you will find plenty of stories about disasters. You don't need me to remind you of things that are going on in our world right now, whether that's earthquakes in Turkey and in Syria, whether that's a war in Ukraine, whether that is the National Health Service in chaos and strikes across our public services. We've had it all, haven't we? There's disasters, there's famine in Somalia you see, wherever it is, whether it is murder, whether it is rape, whether it is uh, kidnapping or plane crashes or terrorist attacks, there is no shortage of disasters. But as serious as those things all are, they don't compare with the supreme disaster that Jesus speaks about here in this passage. He mentions it, in fact, three times as if to hammer home the point, once in verse 21 and twice in verse 24. The worst thing you see that can happen to us isn't cancer or divorce or war or torture or disability or, or physical or emotional abuse. It isn't even death. Rather, it is to die in your sins. To die with your sin unrepented of and unatoned for. That is the worst possible thing that can happen to you. There is no bigger disaster than that. And to say that to this audience that Jesus says it to here in our, our passage, a crowd of, of religious Jews who were certain of their own goodness and their, and their standing before God, it wasn't a popular thing. And it's not a popular thing today, is it? I'm perfectly aware that to tell people today that they are going to die in their sins is completely countercultural. People hate hearing that message today just as much as they hated hearing it then. But as a minister of God's word, it is my job to preach to you the whole counsel of God. Even those bits that we don't want to hear or we tend to gloss over. You see, we can read this passage and, and we can get bogged down in the, in the individual words and we can lose the bigger picture. We can ask sorts, all sorts of questions, a bit like the Jews do, do here. Where is his father? What does he mean? Where I go, you cannot. Where I go, you cannot come. Will he kill himself? Who is he? Or we can take away the main point of this conversation: that the biggest 
disaster of all, the worst thing that can happen to you is to die in your sins. We're going to look at this passage this evening and briefly just try to answer through uh, the simple question, who will die in their sins? And there are four answers that this passage gives us. The first is those who don't know the Father. Verse 19, they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. You see, Jesus is teaching in the temple. He is talking to to Jews. He's talking to religious leaders and people who thought that they knew God, who assumed that they had a relationship with God and a good relationship at that. They they prided themselves on their heritage, on being the children uh, of Abraham, as they go on to say later on in this chapter. They they weren't like the the Gentiles, the the non-Jewish people whom they considered to be be dogs, a term of, of insult. It was to the Jews that God had given his Old Testament law. The Jews were the beneficiaries of God's promises and his privileges. They were the the chosen people. Other people didn't know God, but the Jews did. So they thought. But Jesus says here that they don't know the Father at all. You see, they think they've got it all, all sewn up, don't they? They've got Abraham as their father, and they're convinced that they know where they are going. So when Jesus says, where I go, you cannot come, they ask, will he kill himself? Because the Jews believed that those who killed themselves went to the lowest part of Hades, the lowest part of of hell. So they understood when Jesus said he was going away that he was talking about dying. They understood that, that point. But since they were convinced that they would be going to heaven then if Jesus was going somewhere that they couldn't, then he must be going to hell, they thought, and to the worst part at that. You know, many people today, perhaps some of you here, perhaps all of you here tonight, are convinced you're going to heaven. But Jesus says to these people, Where I go, you cannot come, because they don't know the Father. The question for us is, do we know God the Father? You see, it is possible for us, isn't it? It is possible for us to know about God without actually knowing him. The psalmist says we can know about God from from the world that he has created. The heavens declare his glory, he says. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. Every day you wake up and the sun rises and sets. Every evening the moon appears. Every night God brings out the stars. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens, says Isaiah. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. You see, what may be known about God is plain. That's what Paul says in Romans, because God's power can be clearly seen in creation so that men are without 
excuse. Every star that you see, every snowflake, it points to God's existence. And yet many people refuse to accept what they see around them as the work of God, and they choose to believe in other explanations, even though um, I'm sure many of you have heard of Stuart Burgess. You may even have had him here in this church, a Christian engineer who says that evolution can't explain, for example, the complexity of the human knee joint. When you get home, some of you have got dodgy knees, I know, but some of you can go home tonight, you can look at your knees and the complexity of the human knee joint. Evolution cannot explain it. It cannot explain why there are so many flowers in the world. If it was just about being useful for pollination, then only a fraction of the number would be needed. But if you believe in a God of beauty and wonder, who creates some things to be beautiful and wonderful and not just useful, then that explains something of the sheer variety and complexity of creation. But you know, even if, like the Jews here, you acknowledge God's hand in creation, if you can say, I see all that, I see the stars, I see the moon, I see the flower, and I, and, and I acknowledge God is behind that, it is still possible to know about God without actually knowing him. God said of Pharaoh and of the Egyptians that they would know that he was God as a result of the plagues. But even though they knew about him, because they saw his power when those plagues came upon them, they never, actually, most of them, never came to know him. So how do we come to know God? Well, John told us back in chapter 1, didn't he? Chapter 1 and verse 18 of his gospel, he tells us there, no one has ever seen God but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. You see, you cannot know God tonight unless you know Jesus. The Jews here had seen Jesus. They were talking to him, but they didn't really know him. And we all know what that means before you try to do slopey shoulders and let it run off. We all know what that means because we talk to people every day, don't we? We talk to people in the supermarket or we talk to people on the street, but few of them really know us. They don't have a relationship with us. They're not close to us. And so the question, the first question for us tonight is, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Not just know about him. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you close to him? Those who die in their sins don't know the Father because they don't know Jesus who has made him known. The second answer to the question who will die in their sins is those who belong to this world. Verse 23. You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. You see, they think he belongs below. They think he's, he's the one who's going down while they're the ones who are going up. But Jesus says actually the opposite is true. He's the one who's from above, they're the ones 
who are from below. He's talking, of course, about his, his heavenly origins. He's going back, he says, to where he belongs, to the glory he had with his father in the beginning. The reason they can't join him is because they are of this world. And what Jesus means when he, when he says that is that they belong to this world that is in rebellion against God. They are, they are fully-fledged citizens of this fallen world in all its sin and all its self-centeredness, all its uh, uh, love of self and its lack of love uh, for God. You know, I've got uh, two boys, one who is uh, ten and one who is nine tomorrow, actually. We sang happy birthday to him to his embarrassment this morning at church. Um, but the ten-year-old is in his last year of primary school and we have been are in the process of trying to pick a secondary school for him. In fact, we find out this week where he goes. And one of the, the schools, the secondary schools that we visited for, for Owen, um, few months back is a Christian school where the head teacher uh, said in his his speech he was quite a dynamic guy but he said in his speech he said I want you to to uh, think about this the school if if the school was a stick of rock he said uh, you know the stick of rock that you get at the seaside you all know what that is he said I want you to think that the school is like a stick of rock break into that rock anywhere and running right through it, you will find the word Christian, affecting all their values and everything they do. That's what he told us. That is what our school is about, like a stick of rock. Well, if we borrow that illustration for a moment, and if we compare ourselves with a stick of rock, then running right through us by nature are the words of this world affecting all our values and everything we do. Break us anywhere and you will see it. In our words, in our actions, in our thoughts and in our attitudes, it's the indelible ink that runs right through us and colours us and defines all that we are by nature. You see, generally people don't, don't think there's, there's anything wrong with them, do they? You see, the word, the word sinners, that describes other people. It describes murderers and it describes paedophiles and it describes people not like us. Living in, in sin, even that is just, just a quaint expression from the past about people cohabiting, which is just what people of this world do. No one lives in sin anymore, they think, and let alone will they die in it. But of this world are the terrible words that run right through us. It's what we read about in Ephesians chapter 2. If you turn with me for a moment in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Let's read it together. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And that doesn't sound okay to me. Sounds like we've got a serious problem, doesn't it? Being from below, belonging to this world, sounds deadly serious. What we need is a new citizenship. We need new documents. We need new passports. We need membership of a new kingdom. We need to be changed from the inside so that the words running through the heart of us no longer read of this world, but not of this world. No longer from below, but from above. In other words, we need to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of you will know, I'm sure, Jason and Andrea Murphy, GBM missionaries in Madeira. Some of you may even receive their little videos that they send out regularly. There was one the other week that Jason posted uh, about their door-to-door work and their street evangelism. And the other week, Andy, his wife, she said she spoke to a woman as she was, as she was mopping her veranda. And she said to her, she used that, she said it was an old children's talk, and she used that to say, that's what heaven's like. She said, you don't want people walking across your clean floor, do you, with their muddy feet? Or do you think that God will welcome you into heaven? You need to be washed. You need to have your dirt removed. You need to be born again of water and of the Spirit. Those who die in their sins are those who don't know the Father, those who belong to the world. Thirdly, those who don't believe. Verse 24, if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. What we're talking about here is is the need for what we call saving faith. Not just believing in the existence of Jesus or of God, because even the demons do that, James says, and they shudder, but belief that rests in all that Jesus is and in all that he has said he is. The the NIV says, uh, believing that I am the one I claim to be, literally believing that I am. Now, obviously, we know that I am is a, is a weighted phrase in the Bible. It reminds us of God's own name as, as revealed to Moses by the, the burning bush. I am who I am. Tell them I am that sent you. It's that I am that Jesus has in mind later on in this chapter in verse 58, where he says, I tell you the truth before Abraham was born, I am. You see, Jesus may not yet be 50 years old, but he predates Abraham. He existed when when Abraham didn't. The Jews understand exactly what Jesus is saying, that he is God, which is why they try to stone him. And this is what we need to be thinking about when we ask ourselves the question, do we believe? Do we have that kind of faith? The faith that accepts all that Jesus says about himself. Do we believe in the real Jesus? I think it was last Christmas 
um, or the Christmas before, on the on the streets of uh, Orpington <coughs> near us, that I met a woman named Anne. I'd just given her a book with the with the gospel, uh, and she gave me money for it. <laughs> she gave me a five pound note, which I really did not want. She thrust it into my hands, so some big issue seller got five pounds that he wasn't expecting. I gave it away. I didn't want it. She pushed it into my pocket. But Anne told me that she was a, a spiritualist. She believed in Jesus, she said, but uh, as a man who came to set us an example of kindness and of generosity, not as a man who was God. Follow his example and we will all be fine. She said, and I said to her that I couldn't think of anything more cruel to set us a standard that none of us can keep as the only way of pleasing God. And I talked about sin and I talked about him dying for for sin as our substitute, but that wasn't the Jesus she believed in. And she left by saying that she would see me in heaven but unless she believes in all that Jesus says he is she will die in her sins you see saving faith rests in Jesus the God man the eternal son of God who took on flesh to become one of us like us in every way except for sin he didn't come to show us how to be kind or to teach us some nice things or some true things about God. He came to save us from our sins. We are born in sin. And unless we are born again through faith in him, we will die in our sins. Saving faith means taking him at his word. Accepting him for all that he says he is. And accepting ourselves for what the Bible says we are. Sinners, lost indeed without him. It means resting on him and only him, not relying on our own efforts and good living to get us into heaven, but solely relying on Jesus' work on the cross. We sing it sometimes, don't we? We do it down, I'm sure you do here. I have no other righteousness I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. There's no other righteousness, no other plea. We must believe in Jesus as who he says he is. Not the Jesus of our imagining. Not someone we think is kind. But the one who came to save us from our sins. Our time's nearly gone. Who will die in their sins? Those who don't know the Father. Those who belong to this world. Those who don't believe. And lastly, very briefly, those who are so blind that they will not see. Verse 25. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been claiming all along. Jesus replied. You see, they have seen his miracles. 
They have witnessed his authority. They have been told over and over who he is, but they will not accept it. It's not that they don't understand what he is saying, but in the words of the parable that Jesus told, they will not have this man to rule over them. Who does he think he is, they wonder. Who are you to tell me? And it's the same response from people today, isn't it? Not a humble acceptance like a little child who believes what they're told, but a willful refusal. Do you remember what it was that the Old Testament called people like that? Called such people like that stiff-necked. Stubborn as an ox, we might say. Refusing to come with an open mind that says, do you know what, perhaps this is true. Let me, let me inquire, let me, let me dig into this a little bit more. You know, for years I was one of those people who was stiff-necked. Until finally I thought to myself in my ignorance, in my presumption, but I thought, well, you, you call yourself an intelligent individual, let's explore this. Let's dig into this a little bit more and see if this is true you know God honours those who do that sincerely you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart God says he who seeks shall find Jesus said back in chapter 7 verse 17 that if anyone chooses to do God's will he will find out whether what Jesus says is true or not. Try him out. Test him. And you will know. Take that first step of faith. For without faith it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him you see all of us perhaps some of you here tonight we can we can ask questions all day long can't we we can do what the jews did here we can we can ask questions we can say where is your father will he kill himself what does he mean where i go you cannot come who are you But the evidence is there for those who want to see. You know, like the blind blind man that Jesus healed, he said, I can't answer all of your questions. But this I know. I used to be blind. But now I see. You know, a Christian friend of ours has a teenage boy. He's in his early teens. Perhaps he's the age some of you here are tonight. He's reached that age where it is a struggle to get him to come to church every week. She perseveres, though, even though when they arrive at church, they have to drive to church, but they arrive at the church building and he walks off in the opposite direction. Why does she bother? Why why did your parents, why have your parents 
brought you to church tonight? For your older ones, why did your parents bring you to church when you were younger? Because they don't want you to die in your sins. It doesn't have to be that way. Repent and believe and we will live. I don't know what your plans are for for this year, for this Easter, for for summer. Perhaps you're going on a holiday, some of you. Are you getting on a plane this summer? Are you getting the train to work tomorrow? Are you getting the bus into town this week? Are you getting in the car and driving off after the service tonight? What if that journey was your last? You know, none of us know, do we, what a day will bring. We might be cast into eternity sooner than we think. Let us make sure that we do not die in our sins. The hope of this chapter, there is hope in this chapter, is in verse 30, isn't it? That even though many of Jesus' listeners refused uh, to listen to him, refused him, turned their backs on him, many put their faith in him. May God help.